You're listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Well, I hope you came ready to hear a word from God today. And uh, two of you did. Great. You know, I believe that what's in you will come out of you. And so if you came with an expectant attitude, that'll show. If you came ready to hear something great, that'll show. If you came, but you got a negative, pessimistic attitude, that's what'll come out of you. That's why, like, you've developed a reputation, some of you, for being this negative, pessimistic person. And you say, well, that's not my intention, but that's become your reputation because that's what's in you. You got to get that out of you so that you could live a different way. Are you with me? I believe if you came with an expectant attitude today, saying, God, I know you got something for me. I know you're going to give something to me. Then that'll show itself and it'll come out of you. So I want to encourage you to uh, take notes, get ready to write uh, some stuff down. This is going to be a practical sermon for you. And I really believe that it's going to help your life today. Uh, You know, Money Magazine did a survey in which they asked people uh, how much they would need in liquid assets to consider themselves to be rich. And the consistent answer that people gave was $5 million. They said, if I had $5 million, then I'd be rich. If I had a million dollars, not rich. $2 million, not rich. Three, $4 million, not rich. But if I had $5 million, then I'd be rich. Another survey was conducted in which people were asked this question, how much would you need to just be well off? to just be okay. So not rich, but just well off. And the consistent answer that people gave was 20% more than what I have now. If I had 20% more than what I have now, then I'd be well off. Then I'd be okay. So somebody who made $30,000 would say, if I could make $36,000, then I'd be okay. But the problem is somebody making $36,000 would say, well, if I just made $43,000, then I'd be okay. Somebody making $43,000 said, if I could make $52,000, $52,000, if I could make $62,000, I I think you get the point. But people said, if I could just make 20% more than what I make now, then I'd be well off. See, rich is this fleeting feeling. Rich is a fleeting feeling because we say, well, if I could just make this much, then I'd be okay. Then I'd be rich. But the problem is the people who make that much say, no, that's not enough. See, really what you need to make is more because if I could make this much, then I'd be rich. Rich is a fleeting feeling because nobody in here would say that they're rich, but we all know people who are rich. But those people that we know who we think are rich would say, no, I'm not really rich because the definition for rich for most people is more than what I had. If I just had more than what I have now, then I'd be rich. Rich is this, this fleeting feeling. Let me illustrate it to you like this. Um, earlier this year was the Powerball. And the Powerball reached 1.5 b- b- billion, with a B, Dollars, 1.5 billion dollars, and the max lump sum payout was 930 million dollars. Now, the payout was separated between three different winners, so each winner got 310 million dollars. But after a 39.6 percent federal income tax, the winners only took home 187.2 million dollars. That's it. I know. And if you feel disappointed, that's how I felt. 
Because when I first heard that, I thought, wait, but it was $1.5 billion, and now all I get is $187.2 million, that's it? It, it? And this is the way that the news reported it, too. They said, winners only take home $187.2 million. See, you and I, we get disappointed over the imaginary $187.2 million that we're not even getting, but we feel disappointed for them because it was $1.5 billion, but now it's only $187.2 million. See, rich is this fleeting feeling, even though that's a lot of money. Yeah, but it was that, and now I'm getting less. We're continuing this series called How to Be Rich, and it's called How to Be Rich. It's not called How to Get Rich, but How to Be Rich. And what I want to do in this series is I want to teach you how to be rich, because the truth is, each and every one of us in this room are rich. We, we discovered that last week. If you missed the sermon, you should come to church. But you can also listen to it on our, on our podcast and on our website. But, but last week, we discovered that each and every one of us are rich. That if you make $24,000 or more, you're in the top 3% of wage earners in the world. That means you're rich. Now, for some people, they say, yeah, but there's richer people than me. Sure, but you're richer than 97% of the world. We are rich. And so because we're rich, the question we've been asking is, how do we be rich? Because it, it's insulting to try and explain to the average Indonesian worker who makes 39 cents an hour compared to your 13 or 15 or 20 or $25 an hour that you're not rich. And so we all discovered last week we're rich. And because we're rich, we shouldn't feel guilty about it. We shouldn't feel bad about it because everything we have was given by God and he gave it to us so that we could enjoy it, but also so that we could do more and so that we could give more, so that we could do more with what we have, so that we could serve other people and so we could give more, so that we could be generous. And so God has made us rich so that we could have responsibility with our riches. And so in this series, we're asking the question, how do we be good rich people? Since we're rich, how do we be good rich people? Can I just tell you this? That God wants you to prosper. God wants you to prosper in your life. And, and I, I hope you know that. See, some people think that God doesn't want them to prosper. But God wants you to prosper. God wants you to succeed. He wants you to do well in life. Because here's the thing. You don't give God any glory when you got a broke, in-debt lifestyle, you know? Like, nobody looks at your broke, in-debt lifestyle and says, I want what you got. Because I can be broken in debt on my own. I don't need God for that. But God wants you to prosper so that people can look at your life and say, I want what you have. And you can say, the reason why I'm prospering the way I am is because I'm following the principles of God. There it is. I knew it. He's some health and wealth gospel preacher. That's a prosperity gospel preacher. Don't you know that? No, it's not. And let me explain this to you. I need to teach you on this. Um, health and wealth is a good thing. Um, because the opposite of health and wealth is sick and poor. So God wants you to prosper. Well, that's a health and wealth gospel. Well, yeah, it is. Because the opposite is sick and poor. That, the sick and poor gospel. God wants you to be sick and poor. Well, that's not a gospel. The, the word gospel means good news, right? The, the antonym of prosperity is poverty. God wants you to be poor. Well, no, that's not a gospel. That's not good news. Now, God doesn't guarantee prosperity. That's the health and wealth gospel, that if you give $10, God will give you 100 bucks. That if you do all the right things, then you'll prosper. No, that's not true. God doesn't guarantee prosperity, but he does desire for you to be prosperous. 
Because here's what the scriptures say, that you weren't made in the image of a monkey, but you were made in the image of God. So that means that you're a son of God, you're a daughter of God, and just like you want your kids to prosper, God wants for his kids to prosper. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 9 through 11. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So just like you want your kids to prosper in the same way God wants for us to prosper, that's not a health and wealth gospel, that's the gospel. God wants good for your life. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And that means that you experience life in every area, including your finances. It's not a health and wealth gospel. It's not a prosperity gospel. God never promises those things, but he desires them for you. Now, maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been coming for a little while, and you heard about this series, and you're like, hold on, how to be rich? Why are we talking about money in church? What's this have to do with Jesus, preacher? I came to, to church to hear about Jesus, not to hear a financial seminar. And if you're saying that, I, I understand what you're saying. I want to offer a couple of things. First, calm down, okay? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. Just, just bring your tone down a little bit. But the reason why we're talking about money in church, the reason why we're doing this series is because Jesus talked a lot about money. And the reason Jesus talked a lot about money is because he knew that you and I care a lot about money, and he wanted to instruct us on it and teach us how to live when it comes to our relationship with money. Also, we're talking about this because we're a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. And being raised to true life isn't just having your soul saved from hell, but it's experiencing heaven here and now in every area of your life, including obtaining financial peace. And so we're talking about this because God cares about us, and he knows that we care about money, and he wants us to be directed to him. And so what I want to do in this series is, again, I just want to teach you how to be rich. Now, when, when I talked about this truth that we're all rich, and I, and I introduced you to that uh, last week, nobody celebrated. Like when I said, congratulations, you're rich, nobody acted like they just won the lottery. Because there's a difference between being rich, which we all are, and feeling rich. The, the reason why we didn't celebrate like we won the lottery when we found out that information that we're rich is because we don't feel rich. And the reason why many of us don't feel rich is because we have no extra in our life. See, when you have extra in your life, that's when you feel rich. And the way that you gain extra is by living in margin. And so what I want to do today is I want to teach us not just how to be rich, because God has made us rich, but how to feel rich. I want you to feel as rich as you really are. Because when you start to feel as rich as you really are, then you'll start to act as rich as you really are, living out the command that Paul gave us uh, through Timothy by saying, command those who are rich to be uh, generous in good deeds and to be generous with what they have, to do more and to give more. So as we talk about how to be rich and how to feel rich, I want to give you uh, some principles uh, to live by that we see in the scriptures. Are you all ready for these principles? Okay. So the first principle is this. If we're going to learn to be rich and we're going to actually live as rich as we are, then what we need to do is we need to understand where what we have came from. We need to understand where what we have came from. Understand where what we have came from. What this means is that you and I 
are managers. We need to come to a point where we understand where what we have came from, which makes us managers. Now, before I continue with this, um, I need to first tell you my title. Um, so go ahead and take out your program, get ready to write this down, your iPhone, Android device, iPad, whatever it is you use to take notes with. Here's my title. Don't go fund me. Don't go fund me. Don't go fund me. If you want to be an overachiever, you can extend it to say, do not go fund me. Uh, but don't go fund me. Um, now, before we understand where what we have came from, um, I, I need to explain this, this title to you about Don't Go Fund Me. Uh, many of you probably are aware of this site, GoFundMe, but for those who aren't aware of it, let me give you some background. Uh, GoFundMe.com is a crowdsourcing site in which people can reach out to other people and ask them to help them out in a time of need. And so if somebody's going through a tough time, they can start a campaign reaching out to people, asking them to help them with their various needs. And so, for instance... Um, if your kid has leukemia and they need treatment and your health insurance covers hundreds of thousands of dollars of the insurance but it doesn't or of the treatment but it doesn't cover everything you can start a GoFundMe campaign reaching out to people asking them to help you with the $40,000 remaining in your bills. And you can tell your story and people will resonate with your story and some people will give to contribute so that you can raise that money. And so uh, some GoFundMe campaigns uh, that were started was uh, one campaign uh, by Drew, Jake Brewer's family. Uh, Jake Brewer was participating in a charity cycling event where he crashed head-on into an oncoming car and was killed. And so a GoFundMe campaign was started to raise money for his family, and they ended up raising $400,000 for his wife and two kids so they could live on that. Uh, a campaign was started for James Robertson. Robertson walked 21 miles uh, to his factory job in Detroit for a decade. Somebody found out about Robertson's plight, and they decided to start a GoFundMe campaign so that they could raise money to buy him a car. They ended up raising $350,000. That's a nice car. And Suburban Ford actually donated a brand new 2015 Ford Taurus to Robertson, and he used the rest of the money um, to really build his life. And so GoFundMe is a great platform in which to help people in need. Uh, but as you can imagine, with a platform like this, sometimes it gets abused. Like there was one guy who started a campaign for $10. He, he was asking for $10 so he could get a 20-piece McNugget meal from McDonald's. And he actually raised $15. Like people gave to his campaign so he could get this, uh, this, this McNugget meal. Uh, there's a woman named Dawn Heaton. Uh, she started a campaign asking for a wardrobe of work clothes. Uh, so far, no one's given anything to the $150 that she's asking for. Uh, there's Haley McGinnis, who started a campaign asking for $10,000 so he can go to Colorado with his girlfriend on vacation. Uh, there's another woman, Kendra Goodine, who she's only asking for $500 uh, because she said it's been a while since she's been on vacation and she'd like to go soak up the sun on a beach somewhere. Uh, also, there's Joe Michael Childress, who's asking for $2,000, and here's what he said, quote, I would look to take a family trip. I think he meant like, but he said, I would look to take a family trip. My wife and me work very hard and would like to take the kids somewhere nice. Uh, so far, 
No one has given anything to their campaign so they can go on a vacation. Uh, there's another guy, Tanner Cable, who he started a GoFundMe campaign so that he could get an Xbox One. Uh, and so far, he's raised $40 of the $225 that he needs. Like, come on, people. Can't we rise to the occasion and get this kid an Xbox? What is wrong with us? So, so, so he starts this campaign. And so there, there are these ridiculous instances in which people start these campaigns, but, but some people start campaigns to try and plead with people to pay their bills for them. Like, there's this one guy, uh, Dustin Irby. He started a campaign because he needs $1,500 to fix his BMW. Sorry, bro. Like, I don't feel sorry for you. Uh, there's, there's a woman, Stephanie Okoro, and she's trying to raise $7,500 to treat her sister's dog who has cancer. Now, we got a dog, and I love him. But I told my wife, if our dog needed 750, no, that's, wait, needed $7,500 for treatment or else he was going to die, he's going to die. My dog is going to die. I love him. He's a part of our family, but we'll have a nice funeral for him because he's a dog. I mean, I can't see myself explaining to my daughter, sorry, honey, mommy and daddy would love to help you out with college, but we spent your college fund on saving our dog. I can't, I can't do it. There was another campaign that was started um, by, uh, oh, Brandon Ross. Brandon Ross is asking for $9,500 to pay off his school debt. But the profile picture he has on GoFundMe is him standing in front of a tiki hut at a resort on vacation. Like, come on. And look, if you go on GoFundMe and you search for debt, you'll see all these people trying to raise money for their debt. And what you'll see is that nobody has given anything to any of those campaigns. I think people are silently saying, pay your own freaking bills right? Like we all got bills. Pay your own bills. And what I want to do in this series and what I want to talk about today is I want to teach you how to live in such a way so you never have to start a GoFundMe campaign so that you can live as rich as God made you. But if you're going to do that, you got to practice these principles of God. And so the first principle that we need to understand if we're going to live rich so that we never have to start a GoFundMe campaign is we have to understand where what we have came from. And when you do this, you'll discover that you're a manager. Now, before I move on, I need to share this with you. Um, I, was, I was debating about whether or not I should share this because I thought it might make me lose credibility. Um, but we're a church where authenticity is essential, and, and I just felt it was really important for you guys to know this. Um, so I have a cousin who is a missionary in Africa. Uh, her and her husband went to Zimbabwe about eight months ago, and when they left, she asked me if I would handle their accounts here, and she made me the power of attorney just in case anything were to happen, but she asked me to take care of their business here so they didn't have to worry about it, and I was like, yeah, I want to free you up to, to, to do your thing in Africa, and um, I was doing a good job with their accounts for about five months, um, but I wasn't doing a good job with our own account, me, me and Irene's account, and there was a, a month, of, a few months ago, where um, we were $200 short for the month. Like, I don't, there were some unexpected expenses. Uh, we didn't have everything come in that we thought we were going to have come in. And so we were short by 200 bucks. And now we don't live on credit cards, and so we couldn't just charge it. We, we, I didn't really know what to do. And I really struggled over this decision. 
But I thought, well, I'll just transfer $200 from my cousin's account into our account. Because, I mean, I, I, we'll, pay, we'll pay her back. Um, and, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind. I didn't ask her, but I said, I'll just transfer it over. And, and, and again, we'll, we'll pay her back. Um, and I had every intention of paying her back. But then the next month, my car's check engine light came on. And so I took it to the mechanic, and $425 later, uh, my car was fixed, but I didn't have $425. And I didn't want to bother my cousin, and so I just said, well, I'll just transfer it from their account into our account, and then we'll, we'll pay it back. And I started paying them back. Um, but last month was February, and Valentine's Day is in February, and I hadn't planned anything for Valentine's Day. And guys, you know it's not a good thing to not plan for Valentine's Day. And so I thought, I got to do something for my wife, but I didn't plan for it. I didn't set any money aside for it, and so I didn't have it. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just transfer $100 from her account so that I could take my wife out, and again, I'll, I'll pay him back. And, and I planned on paying him back. Uh, she was set to be back in the next four months, which would be plenty of time for me to pay them back. But I got an email from her this week saying, hey, we're going to be back in two weeks. And so she's coming back, and I have to give an account of what I did with her account. And I don't know what I'm going to tell her. And so I just felt like I needed to, to share that with you. I also feel like I need to share this with you, that none of that is true. That, that none of that ever happened. That, that I don't have a cousin in Africa. I never managed anybody's account like that. None of that is true. But I shared that story with you because I wanted you to feel how it felt to mismanage somebody's money. Think about how you felt when I told you that, how I transferred that money, the disgust you felt in your heart towards me, and ah, right, what's wrong with you? Why would you? Think about how you felt. I can't believe you would do that. Again, none of that ever happened, okay? Just want to make very clear that when you leave, it's like, I can't believe, no, that never happened. But I wanted you to feel how it felt to mismanage somebody else's money. The truth is, each and every one of us is a manager of some money, but the money that we're managing is not our money. It's somebody else's. And we got to understand where what we have came from. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says this. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Psalm, 9, uh, Psalm 50 verses 9 through 11. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. Everything we have comes from God. Whatever you have in your bank account is actually God's money and he's entrusted you to manage it. See, where we get off sometimes, the reason why we don't live as rich as we really are is, we, is because we believe that what we have in our possession is actually ours. But what we see in the scriptures is that the truth is everything we have is God's and he's entrusted us to manage it. Let me ask you, if you were to hire you to manage money for you and you, hire, and you manage money the way that, for you, let, let me start this over. If you hired you to manage money for you, and you manage money for you the way that you manage money for you now, would you fire you? Think of, she said yes. Think about the way that you manage money. And here's the thing, you're not managing your money. You're managing someone else's money. You're managing God's money. If we're going to be 
great people when it comes to living rich and feeling rich and, and doing what God has called us to do because he's entrusted us with what he's entrusted us with, then we need to understand where what we have came from and we need to be great managers. See, some of us, were horrible managers with what God has entrusted to us and we want more. And God's looking at us and he's like, why would I give you more? You're not even managing what I've given you well. So how do we be good managers? How do we live rich? How do we act rich? How do we be rich? It's by being good managers. But how do we be good managers? It's with three simple words. Live, save, give. Live, save, give. Now that's the order that we're going to talk about it today. But the proper order, the, the real order, the right order is actually this. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. Here's why that's the right order. This is the order of priority. Before we do anything, we give back to God. We return the tithe back to God because it's his in the first place. If we understand that everything we have came from God in the first place, then we realize that the money in my possession is not mine. So when God says, I want you to return the first 10% back to me, as good managers, we say, okay, God, whatever you say, because it's your money, I'll do what you say with your money. So we return the tithe back to God. The second thing we do is we save. We pay ourselves. If we're going to be good managers, we have to realize that we got to pay ourselves, and that's when we save. When you put money in your savings account, you're paying yourself as God's manager, and then we live on the rest. So that's the proper order. That's the right priority for this, but I want to talk about it in the opposite. Live, save, give. If we're going to live as good managers, then here's the, here's the first principle for how we live. We need to be acquainted with our accounts. If we're going to live as good managers, then we need to be acquainted with our accounts. That means that you need to know how much money God is entrusting you with. And so you need to know how much money God is entrusting you with, and then you need to know what you're going to do with that money. Uh, the scriptures teach us this in Proverbs uh, chapter 27, verses 23 through 24. It says, be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. What this is teaching us is that we need to be acquainted with our accounts. Because the truth is that you're going to have a certain sum of money come into your hands this month. You need to know how much that's going to be. And then you're going to have a certain sum of money leave your hands this month. And you need to know how much is going to leave your hands, and you need to know where it's going to go. And so what this means is that we create uh, this, this chart where we write down on paper, on purpose, before the month begins, what our income is. Here's how much I'm going to have coming in this month. And then we write down on paper, on purpose, before the month begins, here's what I have going out this month, and here's all the places that it's going. When we write down on paper, on purpose, before the month begins, our income and our outgo, that's called a... A, a bu budget. That's called a budget. If we're going to be good managers of what God has entrusted to us, we need to budget our money. We need to write down, God, here's what you're entrusting me with this month. Here's what I'm doing with it this month. So that if God ever were to say, I want to see what you did with what I entrusted to you, we could say, here it is. 
We create a plan for what we're going to do. This is called a budget. Now, some people say, well, I live on a budget. But really what they're saying is, I just try to spend less than what I make. That's not a budget. Some people say, well, I live on a budget. But really what they're saying is, we just buy the store brand and not the name brand. That's not a budget. A budget is when you write down on paper, on purpose, before the month begins, all the money God is giving you, and then what you're going to do with that money that month. And when you do that, your income minus your outgo should equal zero. Every dollar should be accounted for. You should tell your money where to go as opposed to at the end of, at the, end of the month wondering where your money went. We got to be good managers, so we got to be acquainted with our accounts. The, the, the second thing when it comes to living as good managers is uh, we need to live with margin. We need to live with margin. Uh, often when it comes to uh, finances, you really have two variables. Uh, one variable is your income. Me. One variable is your income. Uh, the other variable is your lifestyle. Lifestyle could also mean outgo. And so you have so much coming in, and you're living at a certain point, and when you live beneath your income, when you live below your means, what that does is it creates margin. And when you have margin, that means that you have extra. God has said, command those rich people, again, that's us, we're all rich, to do more and to give more. The way we're able to do more and to give more is because we live below our means. We live at a level below our income, and so it creates margin. Now, here's how most people live. They have their income and their lifestyle being the same line. And so for many people, what happens is their income is here and their lifestyle is right up with it. And if their income goes up, their lifestyle goes up. These are people who would describe their life as living paycheck to paycheck from week to week where their lifestyle matches their income. Now, there's another way to live, and this is where you have your lifestyle and your income. And when you live this way, your lifestyle is above your income. So now you don't have margin. You're not even living week to week. But what you've done now is you've created a situation where you live in debt. People who live this way have stress, have frustration, uh, have anxiety when it comes to finances. People who live this way in debt and week to week can't be good rich people because there is no margin for them to do more or give more. It's, well, I'd love to do more and give more, but I don't have any extra to do that. It's, I would love to do more and give more and live this way, but I, I can't because I have a car payment that I owe. I can't do more and give more because I owe this on that. And so, this is how many of us live. We have these three options. We can either live uh, below our means, we can live at our means, or we can live above 
our means. But God says, if you're going to be rich, then you have to do more and give more. For us to do that, we need to create margin. Now, here's what happens when it comes to debt. For so many people, they live above their lifestyle and uh, they go into debt because our society embraces debt. Because what happens is, for, for the average young person, they'll move out of their house uh, with their parents, and they try to live in the same house as their parents, right? So they'll move out of their parents' house, but they try to buy a house that's at the same level as their parents. But what they don't understand is that it took their parents 30 years to get to that level. Or they'll move out of their parents' house, and then they'll try to get a car like their parents, but what they don't understand is it took their parents 30 years to get that car. And so they'll go and take a loan out for it or they'll lease a car. What happens is oftentimes when we move out of our house, we, we try to match our lifestyle before our income catches up. And if we're going to be good rich people, we got to change this. we got to fix this. we got to live with margin. Here's, here's some things that God says about debt. In uh, Proverbs uh, I'm sorry, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 6, God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says this, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. And so the truth is that the people of God should be the lenders and not the borrowers. The people of God should be the head and not the tail, because here's the truth about Debt, Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. But despite what our society says, when you carry debt, you're a slave. That's why they call it MasterCard, because they understand that you're enslaved to them. As long as you owe us money, we're your master, and you're carrying our card, if you don't think you're a slave when you're in debt, try not paying your car payment. And the dealer will send someone to repossess that car and it will no longer be yours. Because as long as you owe on that car, you're owned by the dealer. And if you don't pay, then they'll take it away. And now you have nothing. See, see debt is not something to be embraced because debt, according to the scriptures, equals slavery. Paul says in Romans 8, 13, he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And so a lifestyle of debt is not a good lifestyle when it comes to being rich. And so if we're going to change this, if we're going to fix this, if we're going to get out of debt, then, then we really have two options. Uh, when it comes to changing this with our lifestyle, we have two options. We can either increase our income so if our income is here, we increase it, but the problem is, if we're living at the same level of our income, often when our income increases, our lifestyle will increase right along with it. If we have debt, and we're living above our means, so this is our lifestyle, and we never change that, but our income increases, then oftentimes our lifestyle will increase as well and we'll continue to go into debt. So one way to change this to create margin is 
to increase your income. But again, if we don't change our behavior, then we'll increase our lifestyle with our income. A better way to do this, and the way nobody ever wants to do this, is this way. Uh, we have our income and our lifestyle are right in line. And if we're going to create margin, then what we need to do is decrease our lifestyle. We need to lower our lifestyle so it's below our income. And when we do that, we create margin. Now again, this is the thing nobody wants to do because this is painful. This means I got to sacrifice because I like going to restaurants. That means I can't go to restaurants as much. That means I might have to cut cable. That means that I might have to say no to some things. That might mean that I have to sell my car and buy a car that's $1,000 and paid for and then begin to pay myself car payments. If I live this way and I have to sacrifice, then it might mean that I have to move out of my house to a smaller house. See, not many people want to do this, but here's the thing. Even though you might be living poorly, if you have margin in your life, you'll feel rich. See, you're rich already, but you don't feel that way because there's no margin. We got to create margin in our life. So rich people are acquainted with their accounts, and they also create margin in their life. Now, rich people also understand this, that before I do anything else, I'm going to pay myself, and this is called savings. So let's talk a little bit about savings. Um, when it comes to savings, uh, this is a, a biblical concept. It, it's Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. It says this, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. See, rich people understand that before I pay the restaurant, I'm going to pay myself. Before I pay the cable bill, I'm going to pay myself. Rich people understand that I need to save by paying myself first and foremost before anything else. First, I return the tithe back to God, but then I save, I pay myself. When I save, what I do is I look ahead to the future because there are things that are going to happen in your life um, that you need to be prepared for. Uh, a survey was taken, and 150 million Americans uh, said that they have less than $100 in their savings account. Now, the average emergency is $1,000. And so for half of Americans, they wouldn't be able to pay for an emergency in their life. They put it on a credit card and go further into debt, which doesn't help their situation. So if we're going to be good rich people, then we need to save. Now, there's several different ways to save. There's several different accounts for saving. The first account is for an emergency fund. Because the truth is, an emergency is going to happen in your life. Well, Pastor, that doesn't sound very positive. All right, I'll say it positively. I am positive an emergency is going to happen in your life. Something is going to go wrong. Your, your tire is going to go flat. You're going to need a new tire. Your master cylinder is going to start to leak. Your water heater is going to go out. An emergency is going to happen in your life. And you need to save to be prepared for that emergency. And it starts off at $1,000, but then we need to build to the point where we have three to six months of our income saved up, because Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no, isn't that insulting, you sluggard? Call somebody that this week. Hey, sluggard, go clean the microwave, it's filthy. Anyway, go to the ant, 
Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food in harvest. Why does the ant do that? Because it has food now, but it knows that winter is coming. There's going to be a time when an emergency takes place in your life, and you got to be ready for it. So we save for an emergency. Uh, one of the ways that we do this as a church is this. Uh, everything that is brought into this house, we take the first 10% of that, and we put it in an account for our strategic partners, for, for missions. So as a church, we tithe on the tithe that you bring. We set aside the first 10%. And then we save the next 10%. So we do as a church what I'm teaching you now. We give, save, and live on the rest. But we set aside the next 10% in our savings account. The reason we do that is because there are going to be a time, uh, times where emergencies happen. Like uh, earlier this year, it snowed, and we still had a uh, worship experience. Um, because it, it wasn't that bad. People came. It was great. But there have been times where it'll snow really bad. And I know of some churches that, uh, like, I mean, it's like four feet of snow out there, but they still got to have their service. And, and the reason, and they explain this, the reason is because they can't go a week without taking up an offering. That if they don't, if they don't collect the offering, they're going to shut down their doors. For us as a church, we've been saving since the day we started. So if it snows, we don't have to cancel and fear that we're going to close down because we got it. We're good. We've been saving so that if giving in this church completely stopped, we could keep operating the way that we're operating for an entire year without anything coming in. We just said we need to be wise about how we manage money. And we're able to do that because of your generosity, because you give, because you're so faithful in giving to the mission and the vision of what God is doing in this church. We're able to give the first 10%. We're able to save the next 10%, and then we're able to live on the rest. And so we save for emergencies, but we also save for expenses that we have coming up. Um, and so, like, you needing a new couch is not an emergency, right? You needing a bigger TV for Super Bowl is not an emergency, but those are expenses that you know that are going to come up, and so you start saving for them now, you needing new tires on your car is not an emergency because you knew you were going to need new tires at some point. You needing a new car is not an emergency. Well, my car broke down. Yeah, but when you bought the car, you knew it was going to break down. So you pay yourself a car payment so that when you go to buy a new car, you can pay for it in cash. There's savings for emergencies, and then there's savings for expenses that you know that you have coming up. And then the, the next level of saving is investment. We see this in the scriptures. This Proverbs or Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 2. It says, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Now, this passage has a lot of different meanings. Um, it's about generosity, but it's also about investing. Uh, some translations say this, cast your bread on the waters, and in a few days it will return to you. Here's what this means. That if you have bread to eat, then instead of eating all of your bread, you take a portion of your bread and you toss it in the water. And then you come back the next day. And instead of eating all your bread, you take a portion of your bread and you toss it in the water. And then you come back the next day. And instead of eating all your bread, you take a portion of your bread and you toss it in the water. And then you come back the next day and you find that that place where you've been tossing some of your bread in, 
now has fish. Because what you've conditioned those fish to understand is that this is a place they can come to be fed. So instead of consuming all of your bread, you've been investing some of your bread into that spot right there, and you now have fish to eat. Before you had just bread, but now you can make a fish sandwich. See, you've been investing some of what you had into this place here, and now it's returned back to you. But he says, don't just do it in one spot. Do it in seven or eight spots. Diversify your investment. Don't just put all your money in one stock. Put it in mutual funds. Invest because you never know what's going to happen. Maybe that spot doesn't work out, but another spot will. This is about investment. See, if, if we're going to be good rich people, then we need to pay ourselves by saving for emergencies, by saving for expenses we have coming up, and also by investing in our future. And so this is live and save. I want to talk to you briefly about give. I'm going to talk more in depth about giving uh, next week, but I just want to touch on give uh, for the moment. And the reason why I went in these in this order is because for so many of us, it's hard for us to make that jump of giving and saving until we get the living part right. Some people say, well, I can't afford to give. Well, it's because we don't have the living part right. Well, well there's, I, I don't have enough money to save. Well, it's because we don't get the living part right. So we got to live wisely. we got to be acquainted with our accounts. We have to know where what we have came from. We also have to, we also have to live with margin. And then we have to pay ourselves because an emergency is going to happen. There are going to be expenses that we know we have coming up. And also we need to invest in our future so that there's something left for us then. But when it comes to giving, I just want to share one quick truth about giving. The reason why we give is because it all came from God in the first place. And when we give, we remind ourselves that none of it's ours. When we remind ourselves that none of it's ours, we're simply managing it for God then what it does is it guts greed in our life. It gets rid of greed because I can't allow greed to overtake me because I realize that none of it's mine. I'm not entitled to any of it, but God has entrusted me with what I have. And so because of that, God, I'll gladly give back the first 10% back to you because it's yours in the first place, but also I don't want greed to overtake me. When you're able to give it away, you say to greed, you don't have a hold on me. You don't control me because I'm able to give. Moses was instructing the Israelites before they went into the promise land that God had given them. This was a place that they were going to prosper. This is a place God had set aside for them. And he warned them before they went in though. He said, when you become successful, don't say I'm rich and I've earned it all myself. I wonder how many of us today, this has been an eye-opening experience where we realize, yeah, I'm rich, but it's all been a gift from God. Everything I have comes from God, and I'm simply managing it. He said, when you become successful, don't say I'm rich and I've earned it all myself. Instead, remember that the Lord your God gives you the strength to make a living. That's how he keeps the promise he made to your ancestors. In verse 19, but I'm warning you, if you forget the Lord your God and worship other gods, the Lord will destroy you just as he destroyed the nations you fought. If we're going to be rich, we have to remember 
that everything we have comes from God. The way we remember that is by returning the tithe back to God. When we do that, it guts greed in our life. When we refuse to do that, we begin to forget God and greed begins to overtake us and it starts to destroy us and our generosity decreases. Paul said, I want you to command rich people to do more, to give more, to serve, and to be generous. The reason why we give is because God is a giver. The scriptures say in John 3:16 that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We serve a God who's a giver. At the end of the worship experience, we're gonna give you an opportunity to give. Uh, as you exit, you can return your tithe in the orange bucket that's gonna be there. You can also give online on our website. You can even give by uh, texting the amount that you wanna give uh, to, can we get the number on the screen right here? You can also give uh, by texting uh, the amount that you wanna give to a number, to this number on the screen. So several different ways that you can give back to God. The reason we do that again is just to fight greed in our life, to remind ourselves that everything we have came from God in the first place. But we also give because God first gave. In a moment, members from our VIP team are gonna come down, they're gonna pass trays, and in those trays are stacks of cups. Um, and the stacks of cups contain the elements for communion. The bottom cup has a piece of bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken for you. The top cup has some juice that represents his blood that was shed so that you could be forgiven and have life. We give because God first gave. Anytime during this next song, I want to encourage you to take communion. And as you do it, reflect on the truth um, that God gave his one and only son so that you could have life. This is why we give. To fight greed in our life, but also because God first gave. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the truth that you want us to prosper. You want us to experience true life in our finances. That you've made us rich so that we could do more and give more. I pray that these principles and these practical teachings have been helpful today. God, I pray that as a result of this, we're going to change some stuff in our life. God, as we observe communion, I pray that you would just remind us of how much you love us. Remind us that we've been resurrected in you if we would choose to believe, follow, and be immersed into you. God, thank you for all that you've done. We don't take it for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.